Welcome to the Kerry Quashen Hour here at The Signal. I actually call it the real deal because it really is the real deal. We talk about stuff that is about as real as it gets. And um, I'm glad to have JC with me today. She's one of our counselors and it's all, she's one of, uh, yep, I'm not going to say it. No, nope, I don't want to get, I don't want it to get to your head, but yes, you are definitely one of my favorites. And I'm, I'm sure glad to see you here. And, and you know why? Because the work that we do, that you do with the teenage program that we have, you know, everybody thinks of action. They think of a drug rehab and adults and all that stuff. But we've been dealing with adolescents now for, gosh, going over 20 years. That's where we started. And some of the shows that we do are so intense and, and powerful and um, sad. But today we're going to have a different one, aren't we? We're going to have a show, you know, really, that's going to give some hope because we're, we have some of our teenagers here that are, are just killing it, man, and, and I'm so freaking proud of them. And right before the show, we actually did the news, and they were on that giving hope. So that, I mean, how cool is that? Seriously, I'm asking you. You are now part of this show, JC. <laughs> I'm very proud of them, too. I know. So, so tell me what, I mean, you've been working with me now for how long? About 10 years. About 10 years, and you deal with the adolescents. So tell us a little about what you do. I mean, the, the schools and the IOPs and that kind of stuff. Specifically, not in quarantine, um, we do TIDE program, which is training intervention and drug education. So anyone that is uh, seventh grade through super seniors who is in the Heart District and we work with some of the Ventura high schools as well, Ventura County. Right. Anyone that gets caught up at their school for paraphernalia or intoxication on campus or a school event is sent to TIDE. It's a two-day student suspension alternative where they get to basically have a, an intervention and, and, and drug education and life skills. And definitely props to the uh, Hart School, school District because I know for years we were trying to do something different than just somebody got caught, sent them to a different school and forget it. Now, right now, this, the, the school district is somebody gets caught with drugs, we get them for two days and the parents have to come to a group and then there's testing and all kinds of stuff. So it's not just taking the problem and transferring anymore, it's helping. And that's not the only program that we work with Heart District with. There's Cadre program, which is random drug testing throughout the school year for anyone that's voluntarily enrolled for accountability and uh, proactive preventative measures, which I'm a huge fan of personally. I feel like we should be going into elementary schools and talking. And, and that's exactly what I, I that's my, my mission right now because the, the younger we hit it, the better. If we can hardwire children in elementary schools, if we can hardwire them that drugs are bad. I mean, right now, if you watch the news, if you watch TV, everybody's saying opiates, opiates, opiates are killing you and fentanyl and blah, blah, blah. Nobody wakes up and decides they're going to be a fentanyl or heroin addict. It starts all substance abuse. And I want to say it again. All drugs starts innocently. Mm -hmm. Can end up tragically, but starts innocently. Then junior highs have high school siblings that are using, that they're introduced to it. So it's almost already too late to start talking about having those conversations right. then. It's never right. too early to start having those conversations. Say that again, because that's what it's I say. It's never too early to start having And I say that always. People, parents are asking me always, when should I talk to my children Yesterday. about drugs? <laughs> when they're born. <laughs> Before they're out of, your, out of the womb, talk to them. 
because yeah. if we can, if we don't hardwire them when they're young, young, they're going to go into schools and they're going to learn that. And those cadre programs, when before marijuana got legalized, I would call and parents would be very upset that their kid tested right. positive. And now the last three or four years, when I called, parents say, you test for that? Isn't that legal? Mm -hmm. And when they minimize their children's marijuana use, it normalizes it and it's acceptable. And then it's what I right. hear all the time in my groups is the kids say, how hypocritical it, it is. My mom knew I was smoking weed for a year and now it's because I got caught at school that it's right. a problem. So their message that they get is don't get caught, not don't smoke weed. And then it progresses. Right. And, and I'll tell you, when marijuana became legal, everything changed. Yep. I mean, there was a ton of adolescent programs, rehabs. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, nobody wanted to deal with their kids anymore because it's legal. So a lot of these programs closed. We didn't. I mean, our outpatients didn't. So what had happened is more and more children obviously now had started smoking pot. And the pot today that they're smoking is nothing like what some of us did when we were kids. I mean, this, this, the THC level in the edibles and the oils is almost 100%. These kids, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a mess. Sometimes I don't know if I missed out or lucked out. I know. I, know. Well, I, think, <laughs> I think you lucked out. So, so, the, so, the, so the deal now is more and more adolescents are in trouble, and now there's not enough treatment centers for kids. So it's completely changed. We get calls every day trying to get kids into treatment centers that aren't there anymore. So fortunately, we're around and we can help help those kids. But I've been working crazy because I've been dealing, doing this now. Somebody asked, how long have you been working with people? I've been working in treatment for almost 38 years. That's a long freaking time. And this Christmas Eve, I will have 40 years clean and sober. I'm going to start lying and say 10 years, I'll feel younger. <laughs> but, but the reality is that where I'm going with this, JC, is the amount of adolescents that are staying clean and sober right now that I see through the programs that you're running over at Action is incredible. I've never seen it. I mean, our steering committee, we have like almost 12 people under the age of 18 or 18 and under that have over two years sober even. It's insane. Especially and they're enjoying it. That's the difference. They're not just doing it, they're enjoying it. Exactly, and especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Because if you really think about this, not a lot to do right now for adults. Think about children that are used to having social activities, going out and enjoying and having fun. These kids that, and, and that we're gonna introduce shortly are, are doing it, man. They're, they're doing, Killing it, doing it. it, aren't they? I mean, it's, I'm so happy to be able to do a show that's, I think this is one of the most powerful shows because we're, these are successes. These are people that are young and are doing it. And if this isn't a glimmer of hope, I don't know what is. I just want to say that um, if you're feeling hopeless, that is hopeful. It's when you're in complete denial that it's a problem, you're not going to get any help in that state. Right. So if you can't seriously look at that, uh, it, it won't get any better. So I was at group one day. And if, any, if no one's ever been, that's watching, has ever been to a Action Parent Teen Support Program, when kids come in, and why do people come there anyways? Because they're in crisis. Parents have somewhat lost control. Kids are a little out of control. They're doing things that at best is dangerous. So they come into us and, and the group is there to kind of help out. So I remember when we were, in, at the end of every group, the teenagers have to make a commitment. 
they take a chip, a welcome chip, and that welcome chip says, I'm going to stay sober, I'm going to not smoke cigarettes, I'm not going to cut on myself, those kind of things. I'm going to go to school. Where does one kid come in here? And I have all the years, I don't think I've ever heard somebody said what this guy said. He says, I'm going to take the chip, but I'm going to tell you right now, I am not going to stay sober. And that would be Tegan sitting right there. So you want to tell the story or should we let him? Let's let him. Tegan, you were on. Remember that day? Oh, of course. Um, just what happened? Yeah. What led up to it? Right. How did you end up at action? I mean, and, and that day when you took that chip and you, you had no intentions on staying sober at all. Right. Well, um, I know that I got sent to action. I got caught drinking at school, I think, two or three days in a row. And eventually they, they sent me to, to Tide, which is JC was talking about earlier. And um, with Tide, you also are required to go to a parent team meeting before you are allowed to go back to school. And during that parent team meeting, you know, the other kids went up, oh, hi, I'm Ashley, and I'm going to stop smoking weed. Um, Jeremy, and I'm going to go to class. And I got up. I'm like, I'm not going to get sober. Like, this isn't for me. I'm different. You know, and I, I think it, I threw the chip at my dad. And I remember that. Sat down sulkingly. Uh -huh. And just, you know, look very upset for the rest of the meeting. I remember looking at JC and she was like, he'll be okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, he'll be okay. Go on. Uh, what else? I mean, what else do I want to hear? So I want, I want to hear your story. I mean, remember when you were young, you uh -huh. were walking down the street. Right. And you looked up into the sky and a bong fell into your arms and said, smoke me. I remember the day. <laughs> so, tell us about it. it was, so. How did it start? What happened? <laughs> Uh, well, growing up, I always looked up to my older brother, you know, and he was just like the coolest dude ever. You know, he was like getting involved with, uh, with like gangs when he was 14 years old mm -hmm. and he was like smoking weed when he was 16, he was doing meth and he was just like the coolest guy in the world to me. And so this, once I was, uh, you know, 11 or 12, just about the age when I would be able to get my hands on, on weed, I, I did, right. you know, and then, uh, I loved it. It was the greatest thing I ever did. You know, every everything, all the, the worries, all the all the the fear that I had was vanished. You know, mm -hmm. but so at first it was your best friend. Oh, of course, it was the greatest. It was it was it was. I mean, arguably my only friend. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, you know what came along with that feeling of satisfaction was was you know the the hurting my family right, and especially as it progressed and it got towards more serious and serious substances, my parents and, and my friends got increasingly more concerned. And I oh, how I heard, old were you? Uh, how old was I when I started or when? Yeah, just through all that. So I was about 11 or 12 when I started a fifth grade summer, I believe. And um, by the time I was in seventh grade, so at 13 years old, I think, yeah, 13 years old, I was doing Xanax. Um, and then uh, by the time I was, where did you get Xanax at 13 years old? Uh, some guy at the ice rink that I went to. He was he was a worker there. He sold Xanax. Wow. So, and then also I I had um I had a girlfriend that was prescribed Xanax that I would steal from, okay. in in seventh grade. So I had two different, mainly the girlfriend to be honest. Right. The but, reason um, the reason I asked you that is most children mm -hmm. are getting um. Xanax and Ativan and Vicodin and all that stuff from the medicine cabinets at people's homes. So I'm just going to throw right now in the show that if you have Xanax or Vicodin or any kind of medication, 
please keep it safe from that from anyone actually they can get they get loaded off benadryl you hallucinate Mm -hmm. if you take enough they they, yes yes, so please i mean i'm not saying don't have it but get a safe keep it away keep your kids safe go ahead so um yeah that was seventh grade and uh throughout elementary school like um my academic performance was reasonable you know like I, i wasn't i was you know the uh the teacher's like, oh, we had a little problems like with behavior, but all in all, you know, he's a bright kid. You know, I don't think he they didn't, they didn't see any, you know, problems for my future. But uh, by the time I was in seventh grade, I was failing almost all my classes, you know, and because I was just I was more focused on getting loaded. That was more important. You know, mm-hmm. homework doesn't feel good, but Xanax does, mm-hmm. you know, like. Um, so then, you know, uh, trucking along, I think I got, you know, just getting not anything terribly serious in, in regards to, to trouble, but I was always in and out of the principal's office and always getting talked to by faculty members at the school. And um, uh, I went to high school and I remember the, the first day of ninth grade, the week leading up, I'm like, dude, like this is like grades matter now, you know, like this is important. Like this goes in my transcript, getting in college. Like I'm not, I can't like get high at school. Like I can't, I have to like, on the weekends, that's fine. But like, I can't be high at school or like when I'm doing homework and they do that. Mm-hmm. The first day that I went to school, my friend hit me up and asked if I wanted to get high and I said, yes. You know, right. it was immediate. I had this firm resolution to not and the moment it was presented to me, it didn't matter. So um, I go that's, to school. That's, that's a heck of a message. Yeah, right? It's a heck of a message. So, um, you know, I, I was loaded my first day of school and stayed loaded uh, about halfway through ninth grade. And then eventually um, I was drinking before school one day and I got sent up to the office and uh, you know, just horribly drunk. And uh, the principal was like, you look like, you look like you're high or something happened. And I was like, yeah, I'm drunk. And um, I think the first time he, he actually, he let me off with a warning. Right. He was like, go back to class. Don't ever let me catch you like this again. You know, like if, if this happens again, there will be consequences. And I was like, okay, so I can get drunk at school. It's like, you know, I'm like, it's, it's okay. I don't get in trouble. So I go back to school uh, the next day, decidedly drunker than the day before. And I walked into class and my teacher, I believe, was like, what's up, Jim Bean? And I was like, what's up? And I sat down and I was like, wait. What's up, Jim Bean? It took a second. Um, you know, I sold the golf cart, rolled to the classroom, uh, got in the golf cart, went to the office, sulking, and um, was sat down in the office. And I think I was so drunk and upset that I couldn't tie my shoe that I was near in tears, right? Because of how upset I was that I couldn't tie my shoe. Um, Sounds like you were pretty out of control, my friend. That's fair to say. Yes, then, it's um, a good bet. Mm-hmm. Then uh, they, on that day, told me that. I would be going to Tide, which was um, what JC was talking about earlier, the drug drug education program. And uh, the way Tide works is you're not allowed to attend school until you graduate Tide, right? You have to go to Tide for the two days and go to the one parent team meeting, and then you're allowed to go back to school. Right. I forgot about that and went to school the next day, drunk again. And he basically, I I went to the office for a second. She's like, you're an excused absence. What's going on? She sent me up to the office and he's like, what are you doing here? You're drunk. <laughs> so, uh, think you were reaching out for help. 
I probably. It looks like it. I think so. Pe- people, especially adolescents, have strange ways of asking for help. Mm-hmm. Adults sometimes they I mean they hit this bottom and they wake up and, and life's about over and they know it, but kids do it differently. Right. They they get drunk. They get mm-hmm. drunk at school. They leave notes around. They cut on themselves. They act out. They get violent. All those kind. They run away. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So sounds to me like you were really reaching out. Absolutely. Um, I went to Tide. Uh, I was like, you know, it, it didn't, it was, it planted the seed, which is what it was supposed to do. And I, in my opinion, I think at least. And, you know, when you guys come to those programs and we mm-hmm. only have you for a really short time, right? That's what, the goal. Our to goal, plant the seed. our goal is to screw up your drinking and use it. Right. Our <laughs> goal is to give you a head full of thoughts. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you're doing something, you feel bad. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. Yeah. So it worked. It did. Hey. Good job. I did it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I went to Tide. I, uh, you know, uh, did, went to the program. Uh, then uh, my mom uh, turned on me and made me keep going to um, parenting meetings. <laughs> Yay, mom. Yeah, right? Um, I mean, I, I can think that now, but then. That I love that. Opinion. That sounded really good. Yeah, right? turned on she me. Turned good on job. Me. She turned on me. Good. She became a mom. She yeah, was, right. Let's get him sober. Good. So uh, I was doing a parent team meetings and I just kept consistently. This was, this was at, at this point, this is when I, you know, I went up there and I was like, I'm not going to get sober and food chip my dad. And um, I persistently failed drug tests. Every time levels would get worse, I was, I was failing drug tests. Every, every drug test I failed. I remember. Uh-huh. Every drug test. Months. And I remember you even you even told me, like, you know, we're going to have to do something about this if your drug tests don't get better. And I, I, like, I actually remember sitting you down and saying, look, some, something's going to change if you don't. Mm-hmm. Something dramatic's going to happen. I, remember I didn't saying believe that. you. I know you didn't. <laughs> I said yes, but I was like, oh, sure, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, eventually, after failing enough drug tests, uh, Carrie convinced my parents to send me to IOP, which is intensive outpatient. It's like, you know, it's like rehab meetings, but not in a rehab. You go home after it's three times a week. And um, for a while, I, I kept, you know, failing drug tests. And then eventually, one of the counselors got to me a bit, or I just, I figured that it would be easier to stay sober than to just keep getting in trouble. And so I, I decided to, to stop. And I, I stopped for about two months, and then I went back. Then, you know, uh, I was dragged back into to um, you know IOP and the, and the circle of recovery or whatever you want to call it, and um, you know I was piecing together a bit of time. I think I had maybe about three, four months or something. I wasn't really doing any work on myself or anything like that. I was just not using, you know. Right. You were. And, what do you, we call that a dry drunk? Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I was miserable to be around. Ash Jason. Right. <laughs> I was so edgy. It was brutal. Um, it was around that time that uh, my brother, who was, you know, the coolest guy in the world, uh, I was the first day of 10th grade, I believe, actually. I walked into school, and uh, I got a phone call from my sister. She was like, hey, can you come to the front office? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And I go, and she goes, all right, just come to the car. We're going to leave. I'm like, all right. We're going to get lunch or something? Like, what's, what's going on? And um, we go to the car. And uh, the back door opened, and my mom sprawled out, you know, just in tears. And she informed me that my brother last night had relapsed on heroin and overdosed and died. Terrible. And uh, 
I remember in that moment on the drive home, it was a beautiful moment, really. Like, I was crying in my mom's arms. She was, if you could have filmed it, it could have been, like, on TLC, you know? Yeah. Um, but in that moment, I, like, I, I looked out the window for a second, and I was, like, you know, I was just thinking to myself, God damn it, now I have to take it seriously. Like, now I have to, like, I can't. It's not an option to, to not do this thing, you know? Yeah. And so with that, I, I got more serious, you know, talking to the counselors more, getting more involved in my recovery. And, um, you know, time passed. It, it wasn't easy, but it certainly I was never alone. You know, I always had people by my side to, to pick me back up when I fell, so to speak. And, um, you know, uh, I've been sober ever since that. How long have you been sober now? Two years, seven months, and 11 days. Is that freaking awesome? I have to. I mean, I knew that. But... <laughs> I knew I wanted you to say it, but, you know, and I'll tell you this. How old was your brother? Uh, 21. Sadly, mm-hmm. in the next show we're going to do, we're going to talk to some people that lost children. But sadly, we are in the midst of an epidemic, and I call it, it really, it's a, another pep, a p- pandemic that was mm-hmm. even before the coronavirus, and we're going to lose more and more people. But I can tell you one thing your brother didn't die in vain. He's watching you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of us have to die for some of us to live. And I, that's an expression that some of us use. And right. I think that Tegan's going to live. Yes, because of that. And I can tell you one thing: he's up there watching, and he's damn proud of you. Yeah. And so are we. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how old are you? Uh, Seventeen. Seventeen years old with two years and seven months sober. He's Whatever been sober since reason. fourteen. I know. So I yeah, I got sober when I was fourteen. He'll have three years before eighteen. And um, he's part of our steering committee over at Action and, and alumni. Uh, and I alumni, and he's a role model. You're a role model for other kids. He sponsors man. a lot of the guys that know. come in. So you, you, you're one of the heroes of Santa Clarita. That's a fact. No, stop. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Is, am, I, am I kidding? He doesn't care. 17 years old, two years, seven months sober, helping other kids. Yeah, you're one of the heroes of Santa Clarita. Thanks, brother. Yeah. And you can help us help other people not die. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. That is the goal. So very cool. JC, I mean, I, what do you say? Get the damn up out of him. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I say. I'm proud yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, we have somebody else in the room. We have actually a couple more, but you want to introduce your next guest? This is Sarah. Hi. I'm just as proud of her. Thanks. So I'm going to let you you take over with Sarah. Mm. <laughs> um, same, similar questions. How long have you been sober? And um, I have 10 and a half months sober. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and how old were you when you started? Uh, I started using when I was 14. Um, I got sober at 15. Um, yeah. So a lot of people would think adults that have been using for 20 years, how did you even have a problem yeah. in that short of a span of using? So what would you Um, well, I really didn't think I have a problem. I thought I was too young. Like me? Like, no, that's definitely not true. I'm just having fun with my friends. This is what all teenagers do. Um, and you know, most teenagers do do that, but most teenagers also can somewhat control themselves and I could not. And that was a difference. And that's what got me into IOP and got me also into recovery. So I could not control myself. Talk about that. Um, well, I made a lot of reckless decisions. I was hurting a lot of people in my life. Um, for example, I crashed a car, um, my parents Wait, had you no, I mean, to drive. We just both <laughs> <laughs> right before I did. I was ready to say what? 
Yeah, um, not my greatest moment, but yeah, I decided, you know, I would sneak out a lot and I was like, I'm gonna take the car because my parents aren't home. So let's go, we're gonna go to Northridge and- How old were you? <laughs> 15? Living in Santa Clarita, for anyone that doesn't know, do you have to get on the freeway to get to Northridge? You do. <laughs> Yeah. As um, an inexperienced driver. <laughs> so, go on. Um, so, yeah, me and my friends took the car. We got off the freeway and got hit. Um, car went spinning. We were like, <laughs> we were like, oh, shoot. Well, here we go. Let's keep going. And it was just an exciting night. You know, I had a lot of fun. I didn't really care what was happening because I was under the influence, of course. Um, but the next day I woke up and I was like, what the heck did I do? Why would I do that? And you had to face your folks. Exactly. Um, they were very upset with me. Very Crazy. upset. Yeah. yeah. Who would have thought, you know? So I think it's important. I think a lot of families, uh, at least that I talk to, think that uh, kids that use drugs are bad kids or from broken homes mm -hmm. that would dare to do those things. Both of yeah. your parents are... Your biological parents are still married. Yeah. You have a good home. You like I think that that's important because a lot of people think right. those kids use and it's yeah. your kids too. Yeah, that's very true. I came into IOP and a lot of kids' parents weren't together or they were like something was wrong in their home. You know, like they were going through family struggles and that wasn't my issue. So I was like. So I don't have a problem. Like, it can't be true because they have this and I don't. So I'm fine, right? Um, and it was really hard for me to accept that. Like, even though my parents were still together, um, I had a good home life. Like, you can still have drug addiction with that experience. Nobody's immune to it anymore. Exactly. And I hear so many parents saying, not my kid. Well, mm -hmm. it's somebody's kid. That's for sure. And, yeah. And we know today, especially... Um, it's very, it's out there and mm -hmm. many, many, many kids are doing it. Which, I think it's which, also, which is why I'm really sorry, but it's mm -hmm. why I'm so proud of you guys because so yeah. many, I mean, let's face it. When you were using drugs, how many of your friends were using drugs? Like all of them. And same with Tegan, right? So all of a sudden you stopped. They didn't. Yeah. So it's a whole lot harder than mm -hmm. people could imagine. And we're laughing and having fun, but it wasn't easy, was it? No, not at all. Everywhere um, you go, it was. Yeah, how did exactly. You, how did you? How did you resist? Um, well, everyone told me at my school, they were like, "Sarah's going to rehab. Like, you won't be able to do that. Like, imagine that, Sarah being sober. Like, okay, that's funny. Like, everyone was like, you can't do it. And I was like, I'll show you. Like, watch, I will do it. Ah, like, there you go. Yeah, I told them like. I'll do it just until I get out of this program and I'll be back and better than ever, guys. Like, I'll be partying again. Like, don't even worry. I'll be back. And I was like, someone bet me money, like $30. Like, you won't be able to go a month. And I was like, hey, watch. I'll do it. Um, and it was just really out of spite for, like, right. everybody else. Like, out of my parents. Yeah, at first, of course. I was like, my parents were like, you have, like, what are you doing? Like, they were like, my angel has a problem. Like, she's using drugs. Like, who is this person? I was like, that's not true. I don't ever do drugs. Like, just one time thing. Um, I can be sober if I want to. So I showed them that I could. Um, but it was really hard. Uh, like, I was still hanging out with friends I would use. Um, and it was really difficult to say no. Um, but I had, like, a friend who was in IOP who, like, was also kind of in the same situation and like I remember having to call him 
and being like, like, I really need something right now. And he was like, well, you can't get out of the program unless you stay sober. And I was like, you're right, I guess. Like, it was all for, like, the finish line was being able to use again. Like, that was what motivated me the entire time. So the motivation was, I'm going to get through this program yeah. and do what they say. I'm going to say what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And when I'm done, I'm going to get messed up. Yeah, exactly. What changed? Um, well, I had, like, a moment of clarity. Like, I was always listening in the groups. I wouldn't really say much. I would just like listen and like real I realized that I related to a lot of the things those people were talking about and um, they identified that they had problem with drug and alcohol use and I was like hmm, well maybe I am like them like okay I guess and there was a point where I was really desperate and I like didn't want to feel how I felt like I was white knuckling it like I really like wasn't working a program wasn't really trying to get sober I was just doing it in spite of people and they like told me that like there was a way to do it the right way you know mm -hmm. and i could do what they were doing and i was like really desperate one night and i decided like you know what i am gonna do this like i don't have to live like this like i don't have to get loaded again like i can be sober and i was like maybe it might be a good idea i'll actually try it and i did and i do not regret that you sure look proud right now <laughs> I mean, look at her. Look at her face. She looks. You look really proud of what you've accomplished. Are you? Yes, very. So you showed everybody. Not only can you do it for thirty days, you can do it one day at a time forever. Yeah. How much time so clean and sober do you got now? Ten and a half months. How cool is that? And also for parents, if if you are divorced or you do have any kind of family dysfunction. Um, trauma, any kind of thing like that going on um, or that has happened in the home, that's not an excuse not to get help. That's not an excuse for their behavior. Right. And it's not your fault. They're not mm -hmm. using because you got a divorce or because, you know, grandma died or whatever happened. Uh, she had every, they, they raised her in church. They're still, that's, we can still end up here. Help is still available no matter what. It's mm -hmm. not your fault, but you don't have to enable it any further. You can. Right. And parents, you know, they I hear it all the time. Why are my kids using? Bottom line is that doesn't matter. The deal is let's get them off the drugs and the alcohol. Then we'll worry about the whys. And if you, one thing I heard from both of you is, first of all, you made the decision eventually to stay sober. But the first thing that happened is your folks, your parents made a decision enough. They were going to do whatever they had to do to help you get in the way, get in between you and that negative stuff, period. And they did. And then eventually you made the decision. So the, the goal is bring the body long enough the mind will follow. That's our, that's what we say, right? Bring the body long, long enough and the mind will follow. That's what you did. But you guys, man, I mean, I can't, you're killing it. I am so proud of you. Thanks. Seriously, I love doing shows like this because, I mean, you guys are so young and you look your whole life ahead of you and you can do and be anything you want to do or be now. And you don't have to be statistically old enough to do this. I'm so sorry about your brother. You know how I feel about that. But I'm so proud of you. Thank you. So um, anything else you want to say to, or to you guys? Do you guys want to say anything before we get to the next segment? To somebody your age that's thinking about maybe I have a problem, what do you what would you say? Just that, you know, uh, a lot of people think that like you can be too young or not be using long enough. 
to have an issue mm -hmm. and just that it's never too early you know it's never too early to to, to deal with that you know deal with that stuff right like this you know your your bottom so to speak is whenever you stop digging i love that say that again your bottom is whenever you stop digging so here's the deal your your parents are going to listen to this show right so talk to them. What, what do you want to say to them? Oh, that's rough. Um, <laughs> want to go first? Um, hi, mom and dad. Um, really grateful for you guys. Um, I know, like, at the beginning of my sobriety, I literally wanted to kill my family. Like, getting sober, like, I really, like, I, I wanted guess. to murder them. Um, now in, I don't want to do that. They were in the middle of, or in the way of exactly. what you thought was fun. Exactly. And I was just like, how could they do this to me? And... I'm so grateful, forever grateful for what they have done. Um, Tell them. They're there, they're watching. Um, <laughs> uh, I love you guys so much. Um, I wouldn't be here without you, and yeah, just so incredibly grateful. Awesome. To you. Uh, just thank you for responding to my misguided cries of help when it seemed as though I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, thank you for putting me in the programs that you did, despite how much I persistently wanted to not. And, you know, I, if, if it wasn't for that, I don't know if I'd be sober now, so thank you. I sure hope everybody heard what you just said, because like I said earlier, kids especially have a strange way of asking for help. So don't back off. Be there for your kids. Get between your children and whatever they're doing that's negative any way you can. And the earlier you intervene, the better. You guys are terrific. I love you guys. You as well, Terry. <laughs> Welcome back to the Carry Question Hour, the real deal here at The Signal. And again, I want a special thanks to The Signal for allowing us to get the message of hope out there, especially in today's times when, when um, we're in the midst of this pandemic. We've got all kinds of people with anxiety. Things are all over the place. Everybody's confused. And um, this show is so important in so many levels. And I mean, JC, you can jump in on this one. But we want to, a couple things we, our goal is. One is to give hope because there's always hope. I don't care how bad it is. There's, it can always get better if you want it. And I was, I got a, text message right before this show from um, somebody that I dealt with a couple years ago that says they didn't want to live anymore, that they were in the midst of an opiate crisis, and um, he's now on his way to treatment. So it's kind of one of those kind of things where you just got to reach out. And um, giving shows like what we're doing right now, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine not watching this and feeling hope, you know? So JC, um, Wow, that was pretty powerful, wasn't it? And, and these guys are, are terrific. So we have some more of our our youngsters here, and I'm going to let you introduce them, and we'll go from there. This is Brandon and Emily. And uh, Brandon, if you want to go first. Tell us first how old you are and, and, and how much time sober you got and that kind of stuff. I'm 17 years old, and I have five months sober. That's six months this week, so we'll give them a half a cake or a Twinkie. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you got Twinkie. it. So how are you 15 years old, right? 17 years old on one of those days. How are you 17 years old, six months sober in a week? What happened? 
And the reason I'm asking, you can help me with this, okay? When we're young, you can jump in too. When, when, when we're young, we have what I call contracts. Remember these? When, when, when I grow up, I will never. We have those contracts. We also have another set of contracts. When I grow up, I want to be a TV reporter. I want to be a cop or a veterinarian or those kind of things. And they change a lot. But almost every child has a construct. When I grow up, I'm not going to smoke cigarettes because they cause cancer and I don't want to die. I'm not going to use drugs because I don't want that to happen. And somewhere down the line, we start breaking our contracts, meaning... Um, we look over there, and Joe and Bill, they look so exciting, and it's glamorous, and they're smoking cigarettes, and now they're vaping, and we, we kind of want to fit in, so we hang over there, and somebody says, hey, dude, want a cigarette? I want to vape? No, because it's a contract we made when we were kids, and we don't want to die. We don't want to get cancer, but we're there every day, and they're smoking, and we're getting a little bit mm, desensitized, I should say, and one day somebody says, hey, want to hit me? Go, what the heck? There's only two reasons a kid would smoke a cigarette or any of that. One, to fit in. Two, it's his learning behavior from home. So somehow we break the contract. We take our first hit. And we clean that up by, you know what, that's only a cigarette. It's only a vape. It's only tobacco. I'll never smoke weed. And we mean it. But somewhere down the line, all of a sudden, Bill comes up and says, what do you mean you don't want to smoke weed? It's not a drug. It's pot, it's natural, it's a plant. God put it there for you to smoke. It's legal now. By the way, opiate's a plant. Heroin comes from opiate, which is a plant. So it's natural, too. So I mean, there's an argument for, for all that kinds of stuff. But we convince ourselves it's only pot. We take our first hit. What do we do? We broke another contract. Contracts are getting weak. You know what I mean? So how do we clean that up? It's only pot. I will never use what? Hard drugs. And we mean it. But I'm looking at all the other drugs as what I call drugs of opportunity. Meaning once we start vaping, once we start smoking, once we start drinking, once we start the weed, once we hit the parties, everything's there. And, and you guys, you can answer that. What's going on in parties here with teenagers? What kind of drugs are there? Some of them, there's bowls and people bring random drugs right. and so, pills and you mix them all into the bowl and you just take whatever is in the bowl and you don't know what you're taking. So at these parties, everything's in. Introduce yourself too. Oh, I'm Emily. I knew that. And how old are you? <laughs> I'm 18 and yeah. I have 17 months sober. That's so freaking cool. No, that is really awesome. So you go, so, but once you start, you, again, you started smoking, you started drinking, you started the pot, you go to the parties, all those drugs are there. And, and eventually, because contracts are broken, you say, what the heck? And you try something. If you have an addictive personality, you're screwed immediately. Because a lot of those drugs, they're the sh they have a shortcut to the pleasure zone of your brain. So before you know it, you feel really good. And, and it's like, whoa, nothing felt this good. Doing homework, not even compared, fighting with mom. Forget, this is better than chocolate pudding. That kind of stuff. So it, it, and, and not only does it feel good, you just really fit into a crowd of people that you are now part of something. Do you want to tell your story from there? How did, how did it start with you? With me, it started, my friend bought a, a G-Pen, a THC. And like back in the day, I was like, no, I never. Like, like you said, the contracts. contracts. Yeah, it's like never. Like I had seen my cousin 
progress from weed to heroin really quick. Yeah. So I was like, never. Then one day I was just like, why not? Get desensitized. Yeah. Like you were saying. And it was, it was the best thing. It was my favorite thing to do. And by the way, if anyone tells you drugs don't make you feel good, they're lying. At first, they make you feel great. Then they turn on you. So I started there. Then I ended up buying my own like two weeks later. And I just kept progressing and progressing. Before I knew it, I was doing cocaine at parties for no reason. Well, for good reason at the right. time. Short-term pleasure, long yeah. Short-term. It was a, again, those drugs are a pleasure. I mean, they're a shortcut to the pleasure zone of your brain. So you hit it and whoa, you feel good. But that feeling goes away real quick. Yeah, so I'm doing cocaine at parties. And then one day I'm smoking weed at school. I'm selling drugs. And I walk out of the bathroom high as a kite. And I start swinging my charger for my pen in my hand as all good people do. And the yard supervisor comes up to me and is like, what's that? I'm like, this is for my phone. And she told me to take out my phone and plug it in. So that's exactly what I tried to she do. She was pretty smart. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I tried to do. And I was like, oh, it's for a different phone. And she dragged my ass up to the office. Right. And then they, my parents got a call that I was smoking weed. I remember very little of this, but I remember getting in the car my mom disappointed, crying. And I remember going home and falling asleep. The next day they told me I was, I had to go to this program that action does called Tide. And I was just sitting there, the counselor was a bitch. She was fucking yelling at me, telling me that I'm doing wrong. And then before I knew it, I was back at school, like wanting to do the same thing. Like I had gone to a parenting meeting. I said, okay, I'll stop smoking weed went to school with the full intent of doing it this that day. I just couldn't find it. Then I had no intention on going back to the Tuesday meeting, but when I did, I heard I heard someone talk and they said, if you don't want to be like your cousin, they told me this specifically. If they don't if you don't want to be like your cousin, then why are you already why are you following this footsteps? And that that hit me pretty hard, so I was like, I should probably stop. Then fast forward, I got, I put together nine months sober. Then I relapsed. Cause I mean, I really wasn't doing anything. I was white knuckling my way through it. Like with basically the intent to just wait till I'm 21 so I can smoke. Right. And then I just couldn't stop. I was popping pills again. I was smoking. It's pretty, it's progressive, isn't it? Yeah. Because even if you have that person, addictive personality and you stop, the addictive personality doesn't go away. In fact, the scary part, and I guess this is a good time to put this in here, is so many of the people that overdose and lose their lives have been sober for quite a while. What happens is once they pick up, their body can't handle what their mind wants. They use it a little bit more than they should, and they end up dead because that alcoholism and drug addiction disease is still there. Doesn't go away. Go ahead. So yeah, I just I couldn't stop. I remember one day specifically. I just 
I was like, took a bunch of Adderall and I just like could not fall asleep for the next three days. So I was just thinking that whole time, like, what am I going to do? Like, what's the next step from here? And the counselor would just sent me a link with a bunch of AA meetings on Zoom. So I was just like, I'll give it a shot. Why not? And I was awake for three days only going to meetings. Like that was my sole purpose. Like I felt welcomed. And then still didn't stop until about when May May twenty fourth, two thousand twenty. I got sober and then here where I am today. It's a pretty heavy story. How do you feel? Okay. Your parents proud of you? Yeah. I know they are. He's pretty he's pretty awesome, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So, so you have a new set of contracts now, don't you? Yeah. You know you know when it becomes easier to stay sober? When the struggle's over. You know what the struggle is? The struggle is that thing in your head that says, Should I or should I not? I liked Adderall so I can smoke weed. I like tequila so I could drink beer. When that struggle is gone, getting sober is easy. We always say, you know, getting clean and sober is easy. You just got to change everything. Really, it's that struggle in your head that keeps the reservation. Should I or should I not? Should I or should I not? Sounds like you went to thy should not, which is good. And always, we have that voice in our head that we're ready to do something that we shouldn't do. That voice says, don't do it. And if we listen to that voice, we're in good trouble. It's when we say, the heck with it, and we do it anyways, we're in trouble. So good job, man. I'm really proud of you. Serious. Emily, you are on. Tell us your story. Um, I grew up a lot around a lot of drugs and alcohol as a kid. Um, my mom suffered through active addiction for a very long time. Um, and that's all I really knew. I knew that she didn't like the way she felt, so she drank and used drugs. Um and so that was kind of a seed that was planted in my brain that, like, that's what we do if we don't feel okay. Right. And so I would find, like, like what you were saying, it's really true. I would find prescription bottles in whether it was my dad's parent, my dad's parents' house or my dad's house or anywhere that I saw an opportunity, I would take it. And for, So if you were in a house and there was a medicine cabinet, you went through it? Yes, that's, by the way, real big right now when it comes to even um, homes for sale. People are holding open open houses and, and people are going there not to buy houses. They're going through medicine cabinets. Yeah, and the sad reality of that is that you, when you're young, you don't know what these drugs are. You just know how they make you feel. You don't know that they kill you. I didn't know they could kill me until one day I did overdose. Um but I would, I was always that kid with the good grades and that went to class. And I was that kid that had straight A's that was on the swim team that was an athlete. Um, and for a very long time, that stood true, even when I was using. Um, and I wasn't one to start out using smoking weed. So it doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter what drugs you really use, it matters that that is what you're doing and Mm -hmm. the thoughts and feelings behind it. Um, But when I was 
I, I really liked Adderall because I could stay awake, I could do my homework, and I can go to practice. And that's what worked for me. And so that didn't work for me anymore, and I had to find something stronger. Right. Um, and so one of my friends introduced me to hydrocodone. And I, they were like, oh, take this mini, you'll be fine. Like, it doesn't matter. First time I ever did that, I, I was overdosing, and, the, and I went to the hospital. Um, and I will never forget that day where everyone in my family saw me roll out on the gurney in my house, and they, some of them still bring it up and are like, oh, what happened on that day? Because they were young. They didn't understand. Right. Um, and my dad was furious. But he almost lost his kid. He was, he was scared. It wasn't that he was angry. It was he, he was scared. He didn't want to lose his kids especially after he lost his wife to drugs and alcohol, um, who actually is That's doing very well and is sober now. Um, very good. And after that, I was, I was scared. I didn't want to die. I was, when I would go to class, I would fall asleep. I was failing my classes, and that's not who I was. Um, I would go to sleep while we had a test and write nothing but the first letter of my name. And that wasn't that. That really wasn't who I was. Um, you just and, gave up, didn't you? Yeah, for, I for a minute. I did, um, and that's when everybody started to be like, "Okay, what's going on?" When my dad started getting the phone calls from the school that I'm failing all my classes, and that I'm not staying awake in class, that's when he really started to get worried because I don't, I don't feel school. <laughs> that's just not who I am. Um, and so I did go to Action IOP, and I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't enough for me. I need more. Um, so then I did go into a rehab. And meanwhile, my dad was also dealing with um, other issues with our other siblings. And so he had two kids in treatment. And while I was there, I, I really wanted it. I didn't want to go back and be the way I was because everybody in my family was like, you're going to turn out to be just like your mom. And all I heard was, you're a horrible person, you're leaving your whole family, like, and I was angry because I didn't want to be like my mom. Um, and you were stuck in a rut that you couldn't get out of. Yeah. And so sooner or later, when I got out of that rehab, um, I I was real about it. I really wanted it. And I, I knew that. But at a certain time came, I went back to the same friends at school. I didn't find a new group of friends. I said, and, and none of them changed. They were all still doing this. If they nothing changes, nothing changes. Right. And I went back to the same environment at my house with a uh, my dad's girlfriend was an active alcoholic at the time too. So I'm sitting around it. I'm continually looking at everybody ruining their lives, and I'm just sitting here like, how do I stay sober in this environment? Yeah. And. So I ended up relapsing, and a couple more times that continued to happen until the last time I went into treatment. Before that, my dad, um, one of my friends, he took me to the hospital because he said my blood pressure was low or something, and he tricked me into going to the hospital. And <laughs> that forever, he will have saved my life that day. Um, and when I got there, I was furious because all I saw were like four cops and my dad. I was like, what the heck is going on? And I was like, I'm not getting out of the car. What do you think? Um, and sooner or later, is I ended up- Is that when you were a runaway? Yes. 
which happened quite frequently. And the cops basically told me, you have two options. You go in there and say you want to kill yourself and so you can get admitted to a psych hospital or we take you and we put you into placement. Gotcha. And I was like, wait, you're joking. This is a joke. Um, because I never thought my dad would do that. I never thought my dad would give up custody of me to force me into placement. Um, and but I he, went in but, but four treatment centers. But, but he loved you enough to do it. Yeah. He loved you enough to do it. And so sooner or later, I went into that hospital and I was like, okay, I don't want to kill myself, but I'm here. So you can't take me to placement. And I ended up in a psych hospital. <laughs> sure enough, my dad convinced him to take me. And when I was in there, I, I remember when I get, got there, I looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't even recognize myself anymore. I didn't know who I was. I had stolen money from people. I stole drugs from people. I burned all of my bridges. Um, the people that still cared about me, I didn't want to see because I knew I hurt them so badly. And the guilt was there when it... And it, it hurt too bad to see them. Yeah. Um, I hurt so many people and it was an unbearable feeling. I just wanted to be by myself. Um, and then I went into a rehab, and the only reason I did not go to Utah was because I could not get a, what's it called, JC? <laughs> the, the thing, yeah, an IEP, because I had too good of grades. Okay. Um, and so I did, I went there in fear of, okay, this is the last time before I actually go to Utah, and I didn't want to go to Utah. And when I was there for the 21 days or whatever, because my insurance was giving up on me too, um, I really worked the program. Um, I really worked there. I did what I needed to do. I knew how to play games. I knew all the games played by all the counselors at the rehabs. I had been there too many times to not know that. And so I knew how to get out of there if I really wanted to. But I actually asked one of them, like, if I AWOL and, like, act like I'm leaving, but, like, really just walk down the street and say I'm AWOLing, will you have me here for a couple more days? <laughs> like, I really wanted to stay there that time. You've really been screaming for help for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's what the message I want people to hear is when we're that lost, especially when we're that young, we do all kinds of stuff to ask for help without actually saying it. Yeah. We act out. Cutting self-harm in any form is a huge yes. cry for help. Same with uh, eating disorders. Running away. Running away. Violence. Always. Any of that kind of stuff. So, wow. So you got out of the rehab and you were serious, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And you got how much time now? 17 months. How does that feel? Good. Good? What do you want to be when you grow up? You're 18, but you're still growing up. What do you want to be? Civil engineer. A civil what? <laughs> civil engineer that's awesome really no i think that's cool that's why i said that we're goals mm -hmm. and you know what i but i believe that you can be anything you want to be you've already proved it you can be anything you want to be hey your parents are listening what do you want to say oh god they're right there uh, <laughs> yes you right there My go, name on. go on your parents are listening um I love you guys, and you've helped me through a lot of stuff and have never given up on me, even though I thought you did sometimes. Very cool. How about you? What do you want to say? Um, thank you for making me do what I didn't want to. Very well put. Very well put.
if my parents are watching, <laughs> I just want to say they are gonna thank you them. for everything, especially the bad stuff, because without it, I could not have my higher power work through me to help these kids. So thank you. Come here. <laughs> and thank you to Carrie, because the opportunities that action affords me make that possible. Thank you for all you did. And thank you for listening. This is, I'm Carrie Quashen on The Real Deal at The Signal. Thank you for listening.